forward to our time together in God's Word. I didn't notice that, am I right? Are these our Tanzanian friends right here? Huh? Welcome back. How was the first semester at ORU? Was it good? Yeah. Great. Good to see you guys. We want to welcome y'all and hope you enjoy your Christmas here as well. Praise God. Can we just ask the Lord's blessing on the message this morning? Heavenly Father, we ask that the Holy Spirit would come and inspire us as we learn more of uh, the characters of Christmas and their significance to us. And uh, even today, as we look at the, these two contrasting kings, we ask that you would inspire us, instruct us, and give us direction for our lives. We pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen. We've been doing a series of messages on the subject of considering the characters of Christmas. And um, I didn't tell you this last week as we focused on what? We focused on, yes, the wise men, the magi. And as we focused on that last week, um, I didn't tell you that this week was going to be very much um, in keeping with this, the text that we read last week. Uh, help me out here, Tony. It doesn't seem to be. Thank you, one of you guys. Thanks for my tech support. Very good. Um, I didn't tell you last week, but the text we read last week from Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 through verse 12, is exactly the same text as this week, but we're going to look at a different character. Last week, our focus was on the three magi who traveled a thousand miles to come and see this new baby king, the new king of the Jews, Jesus in Bethlehem. Today, we're going to shift our focus to another king. All right. First of all, um, the title of my message today is called The Tale of Two Kings. The Tale of Two Kings. When I uh, was younger, um, one of the uh, books by Dr. Seuss that always caught my attention was How the Grinch Stole Christmas. I'm not going to spend time telling you a lot about the Grinch, but he's obviously a green monster who lived in a cave, and he comes to the people of Whoville. And uh, you read the story for yourself. We won't uh, try to teach it again today. But the bottom line is the Grinch did not like Christmas. Is that an understatement? All right. He hated Christmas. All right. Then there's another well-known Christmas tale of uh, this wonderful story originally called A Christmas Carol, written, authored by Charles Dickens. The story of, uh, of some families and interaction between people in London, written many, many years ago, and various renditions and even television and film productions. Uh, I happen to like the George C. Scott version myself, but I'm an old school guy. So um, this is a picture of who? Ebenezer Scrooge. And we know that Scrooge was a a mean ogre of a man who never had a happy day in his life and who showed his hatefulness towards all that he was around. And we know that through the story, there's a great change that takes place in Scrooge. But not before that, we see that same mean, hateful, ogre attitude about Christmas. Do you know that that's where, in that particular book, that is where actually the phrase... Humbug originated. Did you know that? Now you've learned something today, right? Humbug. That's why it was Scrooge who used to say every time someone mentioned we ought to do something for Christmas, he simply said, what? 
Humbug. I don't want anything to do with it. You might say, what in the world does this have to do with your message today on Christmas? Because I've got a guy who makes these guys look sweet. (laughs) I've got a guy in the Bible to share with you about today whose attitude towards Christ, towards the Christmas season, towards people in general, is ten times more obnoxious than these. His name? King Herod. Some of you already ahead of me. So this King Herod was the man who tried to kill Christmas. So I'm just going to read to you a little bit. Uh, Again, it's the same text I read last week. But rather than you focusing on the Magi, would you just refocus your attention on King Herod? All right, here we go, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 2 of Matthew's Gospel. And after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, During the time of who? King Herod. Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? Notice that phrase clearly. Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where this Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. And then they quote to him Micah chapter 5, verse 2. The prophet prophesies, but you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler. Everybody say ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly, found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them on to Bethlehem. And he said, go and make a careful search for this child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. And after they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And coming to the house, I just want to point out quickly there parenthetically, notice it doesn't say on coming to the stable. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and incense and myrrh. Having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, to the Lord giving them a dream, not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So I want to talk to you this morning about these contrasting paths of two kings. On one path is King Herod. We'll talk about him uh, a little bit this morning, keeping in mind that he is in direct contrast with another king whose path is diametrically opposed, and that was King Jesus, even as a two-year-old boy, King Jesus. So first, let's talk a little bit about this man who tried to kill Christmas. This man 
uh, hardly seems, uh, I thought about this as I was, had prepared this series. I thought, boy, the Sunday before Christmas, this is going to feel like a little bit of a downer to be talking about King Herod because, I mean, he is a real Grinch, all right? But uh, we'll turn it around and get our hearts filled with joy before we leave. Um, there's one man who was not happy about Christmas at all. He's extremely angry about the whole thing. Now, he's not a make-believe character. He was for real. History verifies it. Josephus, the great Jewish historian, provides ample proof of not only King Herod's existence, but also the kind of guy he was. Um, And we'll see in just a little bit his act of massacring uh, the innocent. We'll see that that's historically supported as well. So he's not make-believe. He's for real. He hates Christmas. And history calls him maybe the greatest uh, oxymoron in all of history, calls him Herod the Great. I think maybe we ought to revise it to Herod the Grinch. But anyway, that's just me. Tell you a little bit about him. His background was that, yes, he and his family were Jewish, at least by name. Um, In fact, the Jewish nation were repulsed by him because they felt like he was simply, you know, wore the name Jew, was by Jew by his birth, but not in his religion. His faith was really not rooted in Judaism at all. In fact, he became the antithesis of that. But Herod was born to a very well-to-do, well-connected, politically connected family. He was born in such a way that um, he was destined for a life of political hardball, to say it lightly. He he was a power broker. At age 25, he was named the governor of Galilee. This is a very high position for such a young man, but they felt that basically the Romans felt like, well, someone's got to bring some peace to this area. And as you know, things were quite um, chaotic at the time, historically, among the Jews. And the Jews were not happy about the Roman oppression at all. And then he got an advancement uh, after attempting to keep the Jews under his grip and silencing them for many years. 40 B.C., uh, the Roman Senate named him King of the Jews. That was actual decree from the Roman Senate. Named him, Herod, you are now the king of the Jews. Well, you can imagine this didn't go over very well with the Jewish people. Herod was literally the embodiment of the ultimate villain. You can just imagine everything that you can think about a bad guy. That was Herod. He was addicted to his power. I think I think put these up on the... Oh, I wanted to show you some photographs. Uh, the one on the left is the most probably closely accurate photograph that we have because it wasn't a photograph. It was an actual sculpture uh, of Herod. Uh, on the right is, of course, uh, someone depicted him in a, uh, in a film. But a uh, few things we can learn about him. He had some preoccupations. So I just listen this way. First of all, he's preoccupied with power. Number two, he's preoccupied with possessions. Number three, he's preoccupied with prestige. And number four, he's preoccupied with paranoia. This guy is a mess. 
All right, let me tell you a little bit more about those things. First of all, he's preoccupied with power. He was addicted to having control and power. Do you know there are people like that? They're actually addicted. They are control freaks. Power has been described by some as the ultimate human obsession. His life, this life of Herod, um, and his use of power can really be summed up in three words. Capable, crafty, cruel. He was capable to do, extremely capable to do what he had been asked by the Senate to do. Um, soon after becoming king, history tells us that he wiped out several bands of guerrillas that have been terrorizing the countryside. He even used subtle diplomacy to make peace accords with a lot of competing factions in and around Israel at the time. My gosh, he was such a power broker, he could, he could probably today at least make an effort to bring some kind of peace between the Palestinians and Israelis. Who knows? He was that kind of influential person. So he was very capable. But in addition to that, he was also very crafty. He always had an agenda. So anything he's doing, he's always got a plan, some secret plan going on. He arranged all of his relationships as conduits of his power. It was one thing he could never get enough of. And I think we see that even exemplified in the text that we read when he says to the the, the wise man, he says to the Magi, what? Listen, when you, when you find that place, give me a call because I would like to go and worship this new king. Now think about it. There, there is, that, that is so far from what the truth was. This was simply crafty, mean old King Herod trying to find a way to eliminate any potential competition. He was crafty. He had no barrier. His craftiness had no barriers. He had a morbid distrust of anyone who might ever aspire to take his throne. He was known as a cruel man. He held tightly to the reins of his power. He brutally would remove anyone who ever got in his way. He was known to have done that over the years. Josephus tells us that he killed many, many people. He even killed, listen to this, this is recorded history. He killed his brother-in-law, his mother-in-law, two of his sons, and even one of his wives who got in his way. This was a cruel, cruel killer. Crafty and cruel. That was his nature. He murdered out of spite just to, he would, was more than ready to kill just to stay in power. Josephus, one place that great historian calls him barbaric. Another place he dubbed him the malevolent maniac. This is the kind of guy we're dealing with. Herod the Great, he was not only preoccupied with power, but he was also preoccupied with stuff, possessions. He wanted it all. He wanted every, frankly, he, he compared himself to a Roman Caesar. He wanted everything that Caesar had. He had aspirations. Did you know that Herod built seven palaces? He built seven theaters one of which even seated 9,500 people. He even built stadiums for sporting events, the largest that could seat 300,000 people. He even constructed a new temple for the Jews. He was their days Donald Trump. 
Okay? He, they, he, that's, he was that kind of guy. All right, number three. He was preoccupied with prestige. He was all about wanting to make an impression. He would build cities and he would build buildings and he would even put the names of the Roman Caesars on those buildings. He was smooth talker. He had a special ability to win over all of his opposition. Uh, several of his ten marriages, by the way, were prestige-oriented, politically motivated. One time he even married the daughter of one of his leading rivals just to get her out of the way and to get her father to grant him some prestige and power. He was preoccupied with it. Finally, he was preoccupied with paranoia. History proves that King Herod was clearly diagnosable as a paranoid, maybe even worse. But at least he was a narcissistic paranoid. It began probably when one of the enemies poisoned Herod's father. That seemed to have planted the seed for paranoia. He was beset with it. He went to great lengths to make sure that no one ever poisoned his soup. Secret ingredients were not somehow a part of what he was eating. He was, he, he was totally paranoid. He, when he became king, he commissioned tens of thousands of slaves to build over ten emergency fortresses just in case. All heavily armed and well provisioned. In addition to that, he built also during that day, is quite amazing, a very elaborate network of spies using espionage just to make sure that no one would ever take him out. This is the man we're talking about. This King Herod had ruled for more than 40 years <coughs> until he clashed with another king, King Jesus. So let's talk for a second about the last days of his life. We read the story once again. The Magi who had traveled a thousand miles. Looking at the stars, they found that a new Messiah, the Messiah that history and that, that Jewish history had predicted would come. They knew that this was the moment, this was the time the Magi traveled. First, at arriving at Jerusalem, he decided to go and meet with Herod. When they met with him, they were basically, if you go back and read the, the actual language, you can see how that would be offensive to a man like Herod. They said, we've come to find the new king of the Jews. Can you help us out here? We, we, we've heard, we've seen the star in the east. We've come to worship him. Herod was... I'm sure, seething with jealousy and fear and paranoia inside. Now, you've got to remember, the time that this takes place, Herod is in the final months of his life. A lot of people don't know that. He had become quite ill. He was in the final months of his life. <clears throat> Excuse me. He was slowly dying of a disease. His body was racked with convulsions. His breath was foul. His skin was covered over with open sores. He was literally losing his mind. 
in addition to his physical deterioration. But he was still king. He wasn't about to give that up. So then the day came and the word comes that there was someone else that these visitors from the east said was going to be his successor. Herod was the king of the Jews, but he wasn't born a king. He had to fight. He had to actually kill to gain his title. But Matthew chapter 2 and verse 3 says, when Herod heard this, when he heard the report from the Magi, it says, uses his language, that he was disturbed. That's a very interesting word. Literally, in the original Greek language, it means to shake violently. Can you picture? He is freaking out over this news. He doesn't know what to do. It's threatening everything about his life. And then the Bible adds, by the way, that all of Jerusalem was shaking. I don't even know how to imagine what was going on in the city. The whole city was shook up. This was, a, this was an unsettling time for Jerusalem and surely for King Herod. All right. So then we go on to see that he called together his religious leaders and he asked them, what, what in the world are they talking about? And they confirmed that Micah prophesied this and, he, and that it was valid. It wasn't just some rumor and uh, told him where he was supposed to be. So at that is when he uh, heard in that prophecy the word ruler. When Herod heard that word, there's going to come a ruler out of Bethlehem. Every will, whistle and bell went off in Herod. He now was panicking. He knew he had to do something to stop this rival that now had recently been born. And so he was now beginning to deliberate, how can I take him out? And so that's when he asked. He asked for the magi to come back and let him know when they found him. Uh, supposedly, so he would go worship him. No, he didn't have any intention of worshiping King Jesus. He wanted to go kill him. If you doubt that, just hold on. Quick reminder for those of you who were not here last week, the baby that we see in the cradle was not the same baby that we see at the arrival of the Magi. Almost all scholars and historians would estimate his age at somewhere between 18 months old to 2 years old. Can we just call him a toddler? Is that all right? Jesus was a toddler. Notice that it said when the, when the Magi come, they didn't come to the stable. They didn't come to whether it was a stable or a cave or whatever it was. They didn't come there. They didn't see him in the cradle. They saw him in the house with his mother. He was now a toddler bouncing all over the place, causing havoc. You know how toddlers are. Come on. Can you imagine young Jesus? This was... This was the toddler that now the Magi came to this house. They wanted to see that little boy in this tiny house that would someday rule the world. They had the perception and the prophetic insight to recognize that this one right here was going to rule the world. You know, not everybody has that kind of vision. 
Not everybody can see through something that looks negative and see the positive. Not everybody can see the obvious, even when we have Scripture to back it up. Many of us still doubt and question. But even those three magi had the perception to see this toddler is going to become a ruler. Now, what did Herod do? We know that, of course, the end of the story for the... um, for the Magi was what? They had a dream. Who do y'all think was behind the dream? Come on. God gave them a dream just to make sure, just to make sure that they did not go back through Jerusalem. They rerouted their trip and went another way. Right? How many of you have ever had a, you know, set your GPS for a certain location and you took the wrong turn? And the GPS starts screaming and yelling and saying, rerouting, rerouting, right? Okay, this was the Holy Spirit rerouting, all right? This right here, what we see. The three magi left to go home after they had given the gifts to Jesus. This is maybe the saddest part of the story. And one in which, honestly, I find that most Christians, as familiar as they may be with the Christmas narrative, somehow... Never take the moment to see how ugly. Because it's not the kind of thing we put on Christmas cards. Okay, Just hold on. Think about this. Herod was actually referred to by some as the butcher of Bethlehem. He was worse than that. The Magi had tricked Herod. And in response to their little avoidance, what did he do? He ordered the cold-blooded murder of all boys two years and younger. Would you think about what that suggests? He sent his soldiers to go and to kill every child, every male child that could anyway encompass the potential age of this new ruler. His threat. Historically, and in ecclesiastical references, this has been referred to as the massacre of the innocents. This is one painting by an Italian artist. It's really quite amazing if you look into art history at all, the number of artists that chose to depict this this massacre of the innocents. You would never think there were that many. I think somehow today, how many of you agree with it? You don't hear about this. You don't hear about it today. No, we're, we want to be caught up in the tinsel and, the, and, and everything else that's great and fun about Christmas. But the reality is that just in keeping in the same time frame as these wise men, on the heels of the visit of the wise men, was the murder of thousands of innocent boys, baby boys, toddler boys. And it was a sad, sad day. Of course, we know the Lord had a way to protect Jesus. Amen? And we're so glad that God did that. What I want to say about this butcher of Bethlehem, he realized that he had been outwitted by the wise men. He was so furious. He did something that was only worthy of a 
Hitler, a Stalin, a Saddam Hussein, an ISIS of today. He ordered the cold blooded murder of these baby boys. What you may not realize is that what we have in front of us is a battle between two kings. But that battle, yes, had Herod on one side, the capable, crafty, and cruel dictator filled with power, filled with possessions, prestige, armed with firepower, resources, and armies. And on the other side, little boy Jesus being held safely in the arms of his loving mother. To say that these two kings... Herod on one side, Jesus on the other, merely cross paths is a, <laughs> that's an understatement. That's way too mild. These two kings are moving in totally different directions. Compare them for a moment. Herod represented the popular perspective on power, and if I may say so, even the perspective of power that many people today in the world hold to. Jesus represented a total different kind of power. Such diametric opposition. They were moving in different directions. They clashed. Jesus had a more simple, yet more radical philosophy. No wonder the two kings clashed. clashed. They both had immense power, but how they chose to use their power was totally different. It revealed the hearts of two radically different men. On one hand, Herod, a tyrant. Jesus, a servant. One hand, someone consumed with self-interest. The other, totally focused on pleasing his heavenly Father and serving others. One manipulated, slandered, deceived, coerced, the other healed, touched, taught, and blessed. I think you can see the difference. The opposite paths of these two kings. Herod, the end of his life, wasn't long after this, he came to a ruinous death. But Jesus, quite the opposite. After his selfless life, his sacrificial life, his leading by serving. The Bible says he came to serve, not to be served, right? But instead, his life ends up how? On the sacrificial death of hanging on a cross. But he did so knowing that it was the only way to redeem man from his sinful condition. He died, and then God granted victory. Victory over sin victory over Satan. It's interesting to me, quick sidebar, the very one who inspired Herod, the devil himself. Does it take much to figure out that Herod was demonically inspired? Come on. If you can't see that, you need some help. The very one who inspired Herod to be so ruthless, to be so evil, Jesus, his ultimate was what? To defeat Satan at the cross, his burial, and his resurrection. And it's important that we remember how 
Jesus' life finished. Today, I just want to bring you to a point of conclusion. Each of us in life choose different paths. I strongly encourage you, if you haven't already, choose King Jesus. King Herod represents the worldly, carnal, maybe everyone that is in that group would not be as ruthless or heinous as this wicked king. But they represent two paths. They represent two choices for those who have never made a choice of whether to accept Jesus or reject Jesus as their king, personal king. You've got to make that choice. And if you refuse to make the choice, the choice gets made for you, unfortunately. You have to choose Jesus Christ by faith. And for those of us who have Jesus in our life and we're followers, we're faithful followers of Jesus Christ, listen, this provides us a wonderful contrast of how we can choose to live our lives. I want to live like Jesus. Amen? I want to live by serve. I want to lead by serving. I don't want to live by manipulating power. I don't want to manage people by fear. I want to serve them like Jesus served. Amen? I want to live a sacrificial life. I want to be focused not on advantages for myself, not how to get preoccupied with power, prestige, or possessions. I want to be preoccupied by a love of God and enjoy the fruit of the Holy Spirit working, developing, and showing in my life. These kings, the tale of two kings, provide a stark contrast for anyone to make a choice. And I hope that you'll make the right one today. Would you stand on your feet with me? Many of you have already made a choice as you bow your heads and the prayer team comes. Many of you have already made the wise choice of following King Jesus. But today, I just want to exhort you strongly. Don't just talk the talk. Live the life. Don't get... We live in a vortex of cultural, declining cultural values. We're living in a, in a slippery, slimy world system. But the right reaction is not to just say the hell with it all. The right reaction is to say, Jesus, here I am. I'm, I'm going to follow you. I want my life to count for something. I want my life to be seen in contrast to this Herod-like world we live in how many of you as christians would say that's what i agree with that's how i want to live my life just raise your hand and say jesus that's what i want for my life put your hands down now there may be some of you here this morning that have never made a heartfelt total life commitment to follow after this jesus we're talking about clearly you're not a herod but let me just tell you what herod represents is a life of misery sorrow come to Jesus today I have prayer workers there at the front here of our auditorium and they're ready to pray with you and to minister to you whether it's a decision to make Jesus Lord maybe you need to rededicate your life maybe you've fallen away or maybe you just have a personal need and you need Jesus's touch in your life would you please take advantage of their availability here and for the rest of you I'm going to bless you and dismiss you 
Lord, today, I bless every person in this room and our extended families. I bless them with health. I bless them with life, spiritual life, vitality. I bless them this season with hope, joy, love. Let it ooze from us. Let us walk and live in that blessing. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.